Hello and welcome back. I'm Franny and you're listening to Into the World podcast where we talk about all things birth and motherhood. Each week I speak to a different parent about how their babies came into the world and how the journey unfolded. We share the good, the bad, the ugly and of course the funny bits. Because most of all, when things get tough, we all need a laugh. Happy listening. This podcast is very kindly brought to you by Rascal and Friends Diapers. I have, as you all know, been using Rascal and Friends Diapers for, well, almost a year now actually. And I just love them for everything from the design to the high-waisted fit to how soft they are on my children's skin and how the transition has been into the training pants for my toddler now. Everything about them has just been a dream and I love that they now do wipes as well. So get yourself down to Walmart if you live in Canada or Tesco's if you live in the UK and try them yourself because I know for a fact if you do, just like me, you will not switch back to another brand because the best thing about them being premium is the fact that they don't have the premium price tag. So check them out. Hello, so this week takes a slightly different format. I'm talking to my lovely friend Tanya, aka Dr. Tanya Kotler. She is at Dr. Kotler, spelt C-O-T-L-E-R, on Instagram. She is a psychologist specializing in maternal wellness and infant development, as well as being a mother of three herself. And she is just uh, an all-round lovely human, I have to say. We met through Instagram and she's been a great support to me as well as a true, true friend and just a really great resource to have because that is part of the reason I really wanted to chat to her today. This week we aren't sharing her story but after last week's share of Amy's story where we unpacked a lot, it really hit home for me the importance of storytelling and bearing witness to other people's um, experiences and stories. So with that being said, we'll be talking about the power of both both storytelling and bearing witness from the perspective of birth stories and this podcast, but also how scientifically the pro- the process, sorry, or the processes, <laughs> excuse my lisp, can benefit us. So I guess you can say this episode is really just about the power of storytelling. I loved have the I loved having this conversation with Tana, Tanya. Oh my goodness, I'm stumbling on my words like crazy today, and I have a bit of a cold, so please bear with. And I think anyone, whatever their story may be, there is a lot that can be gained from listening to Tanya's wise words and advice. I've linked in the show notes for the podcast where you can get help should you be struggling with trauma, loss, motherhood in general, any type of mood disorder or really anything in between. But before we get into this week's episode, I'll announce this week's giveaway. I've teamed up with my doula from my last birth with baby cub, Rhiannon from um, Birth Boss Co at Birth Boss Co on Instagram. I'm a real advocate for getting help any way you can really, both prenatally and postpartum particularly in birth and the postpartum period I think it's really important to try and set yourself up for having as much help as possible if you can and no I certainly couldn't have got through Cub's birth without her being there 
particularly as it was so quick and she arrived before my midwives. Um, the more births I have, the more I see the power of support and having someone advocating for your health and well-being. Um, Rhiannon herself is giving away one virtual doula session to the value of $120. If you think this is for you or you'd like to give this se session, sorry, gift this session to an expectant mother you know, please do the usual and head over to my Instagram at Franny and Co., and follow the instructions on how to enter, subscribe to the podcast, share the graphic, and tag us. So anyway, good luck, people. And let's get stuck into this episode with Tanya. I really hope you enjoy listening. Um, yeah, enjoy. Thank you. Okay, so today I'm here with Tanya. She is a mother of three, Dr. Kotler. How would you, can you describe your job to me so that I can't get it wrong? You're, you specialize in maternal mental health and... And infancy. So I'm and infancy, okay. Yeah. And I work with adults and children. So I work with moms and their babies. And obviously I should note that we're also friends. So I feel like the few times we've managed to physically meet up in person, we probably don't come up for air. So this podcast will probably run in the same way where you won't be able to stop either of us from talking but um I wanted to have Tanya come on today because I feel like we have some really great conversations like both um in person and online and I think you've made so many good points to me that like really resonate like from a personal point of view but also um explaining to them to me professionally and like why it is that that resonates with me, for example, and probably will resonate with a lot of other people as well. So we're going to try and do a different kind of episode. We're not going to talk about birth stories, but more about the power of storytelling and bearing witness um, and how all of those things are connected to the way our brain works and why all those things are important. Also, why um, this it, it kind of translates into why this podcast is important to me and why I want to share every type of story from empowering home birth to trauma, C-section and everything in between. Because for me personally, it's not about, um, you know, just promoting empowering births and it's not about just promoting, um, not just, just giving people with birth trauma a place to tell their story. It's about just letting people have their truths be told. So we'll, we'll go into everything more, um, and if anything does, um, whether it's trigger you or resonate with you or make you feel like you do need to speak to someone, you can skip to the end at some point and we'll have some more information and I'll link everything in the show notes, including Tanya's Instagram and um, I don't know, all of your other professional links, but ways you people can find help. So that will be at the end. Anyway, let's get into it. So let's talk about the to uh, the power of storytelling. Like how how does storytelling help us from like your professional standpoint and like scientifically? So I'm so excited to be here because first and foremost, this is what I do for a living right mm -hmm. off the bat, right? I mean, when someone goes into therapy, what they're basically doing is telling a story. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole time you spend with them in therapy, it's so that they can build their story, their narrative. Mm -hmm. So obviously... I completely believe in the power of storytelling. We've been telling stories. Um, human human beings have been telling stories before they had a spoken language. Right. There has been a reason to tell stories because it's of such value since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. 
And there are many reasons why it's so important. I'd say the overarching reason the way I see it is because it organizes the person's mind, Mm -hmm. organizes their story into a coherent narrative. It helps them create a story of their lives or a story of a moment or a story of a memory with a beginning, middle, and end and helps them begin to process it that way. So when things aren't organized, when they're fragmented, they're really hard to make sense of. So what would make something fragmented? So trauma, for example, going in the most, but that's the most extreme, but we can use it as an example. With trauma, memories are often stored in a fragmented way. Mm -hmm. So when a person experiences trauma, they may store an emotion, for example, fear Mm -hmm. or anxiety, separate to context. And we know that with brain science, that the regions of the brain, like the hippocampus, which stores context, I'm touching my brain, nobody can say that, (laughs) um, does not light up the same way as once you process a memory or you talk about it and you integrate emotion with context, you see the hippocampus kind of lighting up as though, you know, I'm talking about obviously research where we can test which areas of the brain are being used. So Mm -hmm. it really helps to integrate emotion with memory of context. Right. Because if you don't, so to understand what I mean, Mm -hmm. if you have free floating anxiety you're like a lighthouse responding to every boat you see. You're jumping, right? You're jumping. Okay. Oh, there's a boat, there's a boat, there's a boat, the anxiety response. So basically anything can make you anxious in that state. Totally. You haven't connected it to where it's come from. Right. Um, another reason related to that would be why we should storytell or why it's helpful related to trauma is that one of the primary symptoms of something like post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. uh, PTSD, would be an avoidance of something mm-hmm. that relates to a trauma. Right? Right. So you may avoid hospitals if you had a very traumatic birth. Um, you may avoid being around babies mm-hmm. if you've had a loss. Yeah. Um, in storytelling, you're not avoiding. What you're doing is you're facing or you're going to face the memory. Right. And in doing that, you start going against or that that impulse to avoid, and it starts making it a little safer. You start to be able to enter the zone of what feels terrifying. And why we avoid it is we think it's going to destroy us, really, that we're going to mm-hmm. fall apart. And so sometimes telling a story and having someone bear witness to it. We could talk about that. Means. Yeah. But having someone bear witness to it shows you that you don't fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to expose yourself to what you're avoiding, the story itself. And you realize I actually can do this. I actually can move through this. And also I think, uh, I don't know, everyone's obviously different, but you often kind of associate if you don't talk about it, it makes it easier because you don't have to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. But actually often people are still constantly acknowledging it in their mind or their subconscious or just because it's fresh and it's just happened. But I think that it's kind of a myth, what's the word, Um, a misunderstanding to think that by not talking about it that you can just completely ignore it because it's not possible you're almost just putting a lid on it and it's like desperate to get out like a jack-in-a-box that's just like waiting there and we know from trauma research and I don't want to make it just trauma even without context of trauma things we don't deal with find their ways of coming out anxiety is a signal it says you know hear me ding Mm -hmm. ding 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 right so if you don't listen to it, it keeps finding ways to tell you the alarm's going off. Mm-hmm. It will use your body. That's why 
illness is known to be related to not mm-hmm. processing certain emotions or yeah. dealing with them and shoving them down and shoving them down in the body. You know, there's a famous book um, by a wonderful psychologist, Bessel van der Kolk, and it's a body keeps a score or there's Gabor Mate talks about it. This idea that the body is going to do what you're not allowing yourself to process and work through and talk about. Yeah. That being said, maybe to put some parentheses in a minute, we'll talk about maybe bearing witness. Mm-hmm. But there is or should be said that it's not for everyone to talk yes. about or tell their story. Yes. That I want to put kind of brackets around timing mm-hmm. and depending on the story and the person's comfort and their resources and who they have around them and whether they feel safe to have someone to trust and to talk to. So when we talk a lot about making someone be vulnerable enough to share their story, we need to make sure that as a collective society, we're becoming vulnerable enough to be there to listen to the person's story because otherwise we're telling people to stand up on their soapboxes and tell their stories with no one to hear it. Yeah, and I think um, that kind of becomes twofold because I'm – it's taken me a long time to be a sharer, but I'm definitely a sharer, maybe an oversharer, some might say. But then um, my husband is the opposite. And not necessarily, I don't think, because he's male, but he always gives me sort of the opposite side of the coin scenario where he's like, it doesn't do anything for me to share. He's like, it genuinely doesn't. It's not that I feel that I can't. It's not feel that I don't have the people. He was like, I process things in a different way to you. And I think that's also fair. But um, going to our conversation that we had a little bit before we started, it's also like there's no point sometimes somebody telling their story, even if they want to, if they can't shut down from that and they don't have the space. Like we was using maybe a single mother of four as an an, uh, um, an example, sorry, where she has four kids around her all the time and they need her. So if she opens up and the floodgates open, how do you how do you stop that and if she doesn't have anyone to actually tell that to then the opportunity isn't there and maybe it's not helpful in that moment at least and I can probably um relate to that because a lot of the trauma I have experienced was when we first moved here so not having friends and family around you although I had people they weren't physically there and I had no I had I could have told someone but it would have been like passing in the street tell someone or someone where me telling them would not have done anything for me because then what happens? Like I go into Starbucks and someone says, how's your day? And I said, oh, terrible. My baby died last week. Like what's going to happen from there? But equally I was coming from a point where there's no other answer because if somebody said, how are you? What are you doing today? Why did you move here? Any sort of opening simple question led to the same answer I didn't have like a backup answer of like, oh, I'm just headed to work or I don't know. Some things that other people, if they were in their normal environment, could um, use as their cover, (laughs) if that makes sense. Because I would have to either completely make up a lie or um, kind of ignore them for the sake of not answering the question at all. Um, And you're talking about the value for yourself. I mean, there's personal agency to tell your story. mm -hmm. You are expressing yourself and what matters to you and what you value Mm -hmm. and that might be for somebody telling their truth being Mm -hmm. their authentic self yes and for that person we should create the space where we can listen because they deserve to tell the story Mm -hmm. and for the person who their authentic self says um it's not for me yet 
I hope we can create the space for them to share because they actually do need it to. Yes. Because the value, you know, even when you tell to a barista at Starbucks, mm-hmm. if the barista is capable <laughs> of sitting with you, even for five minutes, because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about, locking eyes, mm-hmm. um, tolerating your story, bearing witness to what you're sharing, mm-hmm. not turning away. And not, not making it about them. By it. I think as well, not making it about them where they're like, oh my God, I shouldn't have. And it's like, no, it's not. Not fixing it, not throwing something, not even saying, oh, you know what happened to me. Just listening. Mm -hmm. We are so bad as a culture Mm -hmm. at listening. I'm also an oversharer and I'm a psychologist. That's like the worst mix you've ever heard of. Psychologists don't talk about themselves. And one of the biggest things I had to learn And so I had to go to school for 20 years to do it was how to keep my mouth shut. Right. And listen, and people who see me as my patients will probably attest to, I'm a pretty active therapist and I use humor and I talk, but it's not about myself. Mm -hmm. I am there entirely with the person. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do with our partners. That's what we need to do with our friends. That's what we're doing when we're listening to a podcast. We are listening to the other person's story and we're not trying to fix it, to offer a solution, to offer a way out, to share what helps us with just listening. And for some reason, people have so much trouble with that notion of just listening. Mm-hmm. But what we know is the most curative factor in trauma or in any telling, even a happy story, mm-hmm. is when a person just shares their truth and somebody else listens. Yeah. That is everything. And that's what you do with this mm-hmm. podcast. I think it's taken me a long while, even with my own experience, so to understand, and I'm still working on it, I'm definitely not perfect well, at anything, but this as well, is not, trying not to interject and relate to them, because I think we really all want to do that, and just letting people have the freedom to say whatever it is that has happened to them without linking it to you or giving an answer, and I know that a lot of people ask me all the time, like, oh... I've had a friend that had a miscarriage, like, what can I do to help? What can I, you know, they, everyone wants this, like, magic answer. On one, we're all different, so, like, what helps me doesn't help someone else. But also I think the best advice I could give is, like, what you said, listen and ask them what they want because some people do want – I was desperate for someone to ask me about certain situations and they didn't, or the other way around where sometimes – it wouldn't be the right time for me to talk about it. Or I've had a hard time with introductions. Like if I was in a big group of introductions and you often are in groups of mums mm. when someone's like, oh, say the names of your kids. And, you know, I would be like sweating, thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to say when it gets my turn? Do I say I have two, three kids? Like what? how do you explain? Um, yeah, so I think from my point of view, I don't think there's a mass um, – a magic answer but from a professional standpoint like what do you what would you say would you say just bearing witness is the most important piece of advice to anything it's the most important because when you bear witness what you are doing is you're helping the person feel seen mm-hmm. when you look in someone's eyes and you say how are you and they say I'm okay and then you look again mm-hmm. and you go how are you really and mm-hmm. then answer you. And mm-hmm. that's everything right there. You just looked at them and you said, no, no, don't give me the answer that you're giving the person as you're passing by. And they go, hey, how are you? And you go, good, you. You know, that's what we've become. But you're looking at them and saying, no, really, how are you? What's going on? I want to mm-hmm. know. And then you might say, what do you need? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, it's not that a person might not need something. Actually, I need five hours of sleep. I am desperate for five hours of sleep. Someone help me figure out how to get five hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's no advice direction that we can't troubleshoot with a friend or a peer or a patient for myself, mm-hmm. but it's on their terms. They're driving the car. What we should be doing for each other is creating a space for people to tell us where they're at, what's going on with them. And from their own being, how we can be there for them. And in relationships, in a marriage or in a partnership or in a friendship, you do that in a turn-taking way. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. with our children, that's what we're trying to guide. What do you need? Tell me what's going on with you. They're having a tantrum. It doesn't actually help. We can't just fix their tantrum. You sit there, you bear witness to their tantrum. (laughs) Like, think about it. What do you do? Like, they're melted down. I mean, it happened to my daughter yesterday. They're on the carpet. Like, the whole world has ended because the pink plate is in the dishwasher and like they basically are like a, a bear hide on the floor. Yeah. No amount of like peeling them off the floor or truthfully even getting the pink thing out of the dishwasher is going to yeah, do it at that they've point. they've gone past that. Pump, you have to sit with it. I see you're upset. I'm here with you. When you're ready, I'm here for a hug. Whatever you do, which is basically bearing witness. Bearing yeah. witness to their big, ugly, difficult feelings so that they can process them and realize that their feelings are not too much for you. Yeah. And you can tolerate them. Yeah. And then they feel like, oh, wait, if you can tolerate me, then I can tolerate me. It's interesting you break it down because I feel like that can relate to like loss, trauma and everything else because so often people answer your own questions for like, oh, you probably don't want to talk about it. And it's like, you didn't ask me yet. You just, or make an assumption or people are like, oh, I don't want to make them feel awkward. It's like they feel awkward regardless. As well, I think just asking, even if it's giving them the opportunity to say, no, I don't want to talk, you're right. Because that might, that's also the answer to a lot of people. Totally. Um, and to sell it, you know, to sell it to the audience that's listening. There's a benefit there's for two you options. as yeah. Right. Well, one, you don't have to share. But two, there's also benefit to you as the listener. So there's research um, that shows that bearing witness Mm -hmm. or just listening, going to a speakeasy, uh, Mm -hmm. listening to a podcast with a story that moves you Mm -hmm. actually increases oxytocin, which any mom who's listening and knows a bit about oxytocin, oxytocin is a bonding hormone. So it's increasing, which makes sense, right? Wow, your story is moving me. That's making me want to connect to you. But that's also oxytocin is good. It's like my feel good. I feel good Mm -hmm. listening to you, even when your story is so terrifying and sad and awful. I feel good because I feel connected to you. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, as human beings, we have an implicit, like an unconscious need, a drive for connection. Yes. So storytelling increases connection. Yeah. Not only for the person telling, but here's the other value for the person listening. Yeah. And I think that brings me, you're bringing me nicely to the point of why, um, well, two things, actually. One of my favorite podcasts, like all-time favorites, is the moth and it's super um popular I'm sure a lot of people listen to it but it's all kinds of stories and they're all told really well they're unscripted and um they're obviously sifted through by the people that run the podcast and they're they can be it can be anything but I always always connect to them even sometimes they start and it will be like I don't know maybe like a military story and I'm like oh that doesn't sound like for me by the end I'm like oh my god that was incredible I've never listened to a story where I haven't connected with them so that's really interesting um that that, that kind of that cements that sort of theory for me but also that this podcast is here not to just because I know with hypnobirthing and I know with certain types of 
birthing methods and like positive thinking and everything else is that like the theory is to shut out the negative and only listen to the positive stuff so that you can be perpetually positive and stuff Mm. but I also think that storytelling you can connect well especially in the context of birth and motherhood that you can connect to something and not necessarily think it's going to happen to you so I'm obviously sat here seven months pregnant I am trying hypnobirthing I am doing the affirmations and meditation the blah 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 but I can listen to everyone's story and not be like terrified that that's going to happen to me like I don't feel like we have to be so worried about fear-mongering and that just because I tell you that I've had a loss or a terrible experience that you're going to go to the hospital and be super anxious. And I think that there's definitely a time and place for connection, whether it's positive, negative or otherwise, that I really want to have a place where people can tell their story, whatever it is. And it's just their story. It's that. It's not like I have so many people who come on and they're like, oh, well, I won't scare people and say this. And I'm like, if that happened and that's something you want to share, then share it. If you don't want to share it, then I'm not going to force you. But there's so much of that. And there's so much of that in birth stories where either people do do that and people don't like it because they do link it to something that might happen to them in their own anxiety, or we're never allowed to just say it as it is, whether it's like, oh, my, my birth's too empowering. I don't want people to feel crappy if they have a terrible birth and it all goes wrong and they don't get anything that they want and I had a glorious home birth. It's almost like it becomes competitive and no one's no one wants to say their truth because I've definitely experienced that from having a lovely home birth in three hours that went as much to plan as I could ever have hoped for, not that I had planned it, but I've also had a, a traumatic um, birth I knew was going to end in a loss. It still had some beautiful parts to it, but I felt as worried to tell each one, and Bodhi's is somewhere in between that. Like, I feel like my births are so varied, <laughs> but I feel like every time I've told either spectrum of the story, I've like felt like I had to preface it with something like oh but like I didn't plan a home birth and it's not too hippie and like oh I wish I had had medication or whatever or with the loss it's like oh yeah it's traumatic and it was really sad but oh but there was this beautiful part of it where I met my son and like it's probably the most euphoric moment I've ever had in my life but yeah it's almost like oh and I know you might want to hear it because you're pregnant as where I think we can decide as a listener when it's the time and place Mm -hmm. to listen to the stories, but I think it's important to give everyone a platform and a voice. And I'm trying to make these stories as varied as I can with what I've got, because obviously there are people who are choosing to share and I can't say, oh, can you come back to me when you have a C-section story? Because I need that for (laughs) next week. (laughs) So I'm trying to keep it varied and I'm trying to keep it inclusive because Obviously, everyone isn't like a heterosexual couple that gives birth or even identifies as a woman. And there's so many like variables now that uh, people are so open about. But yeah, I can only share what someone gets in touch about. No, but I love Um, that. And that's like that's the most important part of what you said is it's just for us to share our truth. And so often what we do is we stifle or we put in brackets our truth for the audience, for the other person. We are a part of ourselves that we think the world or others can tolerate, 
right? Mm-hmm. And that's what or we're want to hear, about. like or want to hear, almost like you tailor it to each person you're talking to. Totally. And if you and that has, you know, with a bit of a lot of what I do has to do with attachment. A lot of who we make ourselves be has to do with our own early attachments and how we have become hardwired as to who we are and who are other people and mm-hmm. how other people see us in this world. And some of that, that comes from our early relationships. A lot of it does. And right. so we may have developed this sense of I'm too much. So I should probably keep this in uh, because maybe as a child, you felt that a lot or I'm not enough. So mm-hmm. I've really got to work harder. I've, and that can happen. That can really fuel your birth story. I've got to have a perfect birth and however you define perfection. It's mm-hmm. vaginal. It's without intervention. Um, it's C-section. So I don't, t- you know, t- touch my vagina. What, what the people will come to this reason of how they need to do this. And a lot of it can fit within some of who they are and how they want the world to see them. Mm-hmm. And what we're, what I think the power of storytelling, if we do it authentically, is the power of being true to yourself, is the mm-hmm. power of being authentic, the power of your story. Mm-hmm. And it only has that power if you have the ability to tell your story as it is without needing to filter it for the audience. Yeah. and Which is hard to do, though. So hard to do, but that's why podcasts are so Because I feel like so even, even myself... Uh, I still feel like I can get into situations or even if you think about a time when you've where you've told any story or your birth story and you think back on it you're like oh actually like I left this out and maybe that's because I was talking to x person mm-hmm. or I don't know the need to always be perfect in society now and like not say something that someone that someone might come back at you for or um even just saying stuff like I pooed myself like no one wants to say that they don't want to do it and understandably so but like we should be able to share openly if we want to and the real of all of it the only way other people so you said something really important you know sometimes we filter because somebody who's pregnant might be listening and we don't want them to hear only the hard and the trauma we want them to have hope but that's what storytelling does it offers every opportunity uh, offers the opportunity of hope when Mm -hmm. you tell a positive empowering story. And so that person should share their, share their story. They shouldn't Mm -hmm. feel like they need to hold it in because somebody else may have had a traumatic story because it's offering hope. Or Uh, even a lost story as well. I wanted to talk about, about to about say, because people kind of get forgotten or left behind as if like it didn't, that situation didn't happen. And I know I've definitely been left out of conversations, especially when I had, after I'd had Phoenix, my first son, who didn't um, who didn't make it, where people kind of forgot I'd given birth. So it's like I have done this in a completely different scenario. Um, but if people were talking about birth stories, they'd almost like forget to include you. Or they wouldn't include you not because because they don't resonate with the fact that you did it or because they think it's too difficult for you to talk about. Right. And so lost stories become unbelievably important for the teller and mm-hmm. for the listener mm-hmm. because it's helping them also integrate their feelings. So you're going to have, after a loss, unbelievably complex feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame mm-hmm. can come up so much. What I didn't manage to do, um, how I, what I wish my body could have done. What if, what, what if, what, what if. if um, guilt obviously unbelievable sadness regrets mm-hmm. what and so on and so forth anger mm-hmm. huge amounts of anger right and 100%. in sharing the story it can loosen the grip 
on those feelings and also integrate them. So you're not attached to one feeling. It's not like one big, big guilt or one big, big anger that overrides the memory, but it becomes a complex web of all these feelings. And when you share it with someone who might be able to look at you and say, even just with their eyes, I see you, I Mm -hmm. empathize with that. Wow, how awful. You feel seen in it and you don't feel that one overriding shame feeling anymore. Something about the other person seeing you and seeing the whole picture helps you start to see the whole picture, helps you start to feel surrounded by all of it and loosen the grip on maybe some of those more complex, difficult emotions that aren't serving you, like Mm -hmm. the shame or like the anger. Um, So that's another thing that sharing. And I I think... um, like I found it impossible to tell like Phoenix's birth story or even just my situation, just as simple as I already did have a baby, just didn't make it. Like that sentence felt like so hard to say, but over time I would say I'm completely fine to say that sentence in most settings. It's more, I get worried about the reaction. Um, so it's interesting that like you can get in a good place, but then you can start worrying about other people and more than yourself. Your story, Phoenix, is a part of your family. Phoenix was yeah. is your son. He's oh, one 100%. of your children. So for you, it's everything to say. I had. I'm pregnant. I have two boys, and I have one boy in the sky. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an important part for you to say it openly without mm-hmm. worrying that how the person who you just told that to is going to feel about hearing it. And I always think about this um, when people say, oh, I don't want to like ruin their day by like telling them or something, that whoever the other person is, unless they're also touched by it and you've triggered them, but I mean, how could you ever know that unless you know them personally? that you might make them feel slightly uncomfortable for a few minutes, but they'll probably connect to you in some way because you shared versus you deciding not to say it. And then the whole day, week, month, you kick yourself about it and you like go over that scenario that doesn't serve you for the sake of serving them. Bear with me one sec. And it probably that person, the other person is like gone on with their day. Um, It might like bother them for a minute, but they're not living with the consequences in the same way that you can as the storyteller or the keeper of that truth, if that makes sense. Well, you you weren't true to your truth, right? Mm-hmm. As simple as that sounds, you didn't speak to your core value. This is my family. This is who we are. This is all of our story, all of it. And, you know, if we ever think of cocktail parties, when you go um, to work function and you could spend an hour, hi, how are you? And enjoy, I, this is what I do oh, yeah, for a living. And like you leave anyone. and you're totally, I don't know about everybody else, at least I am, like totally sapped of life. Like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so exhausting and well, so you're on real. repeat. You're on repeat. You're inauthentic. You know, most of the time you're just talking shop and you're just on the surface and it's exhausting. Well, you can even get like that, I think, in industries like mine where I do hair on hair as part of my job. So like I'll spend an hour with someone and I can repeat the same conversations like on an hour cycle. And it, even if it's a deep conversation, as in like this happened to me this week, what happened to you, that you can end up in these cycles where like at the end of it, you feel so drained, whether you've had like the weather and the holiday chat mm-hmm. or whether you've really deep dove into like, oh, I don't know, both of you connecting on like a way more personal level that you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, that was a lot. 
Like, I think you and can be overkill to, too, right? right? That goes the other side, right? The right timing of when you tell your story. Mm-hmm. That it's not always the right time. Maybe you've told it three times. Maybe you just had therapy. Um, maybe you yeah. have, you've told your best friend, so you don't need to tell I was wondering what you felt about therapy. Because I've, I've, I mean, obviously you're coming at it from a different point of view, but I have really benefited from therapy. But I think I've also had fer- therapy fatigue where I've gone into it in a, on a good day and spoke a lot and then come out and been like, I feel like I've got what felt worse to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is that a thing that you hear of a lot? Or do you think that it always has a positive benefit? So not to, no. not to be a reason not to. No, I think you're, you're hitting on something bang on. First of all, I think therapy is all about fit. Mm-hmm. And then people say that a lot, but they don't give it enough airtime to really think about it mm-hmm. right it's like going you go on tinder and you're giving a lot of airtime to who you're going on a date with and then you're going on three dates with him or one date with him you're going absolutely not or one date with her absolutely not but then you do two or three you decide okay I'm going to try this with this person but with therapy there's often again this pressure of I'm the one who needs this and they have a degree so I'm probably just not aware of what I need and we often don't listen again to our authentic self. Definitely trial and error though isn't it? So trial and error something's not clicking and all that said it clicks it's a good fit there's still totally therapy fatigue you're not in the space that day Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope as a therapist what I try to do and a lot of the therapists I really trust and respect will do is for them to be with you where you are that that day actually part of what you might talk about is how shut down you feel how much you don't actually feel like opening anything and sitting in the space with them maybe understanding why are you shut down have you been kind of touched out this week yeah literally emotionally and physically as mothers we can think about that you know all the kids grabbing at you your husband everybody or your wife everybody wants something of you emotionally thing I think being touched out because I'm someone who likes needs attention from people around me in terms of like my loved ones and my family and I never dreamt I'd be in a situation where I'm like, no one talk to me and don't touch me. I'm going down to my, my cave. Yeah, my, my, oh, yeah. yeah as such we a sit, cave down here, everybody. As we sit in my cave, I feel like it's my, like, sanctuary. And I never imagined that that would be something I would be creating away from people I love. I was always someone who thought, oh, I'm just going to cuddle them forever. And, like, yeah, I don't know. It's funny to me that as parents – there's just such scope for it, whatever your personality type and whatever you do and don't like. But if you're already someone that needs your own space, it, that threshold must be being like, and of the more kids you have. Totally pushed out, right? So yeah, therapy, you might The type of husband and relationship you have. And what they need and whatever, what work you do. So you might go to therapy and say, I can't talk anymore. And you may talk about why you can't talk anymore. The therapy might go a different direction. Maybe you've been talking about your birth story in the Mm -hmm. therapy or, or adjustment to motherhood or fatherhood, a lot of what I do. And yet there will be one day when you come in and you're like, I just need to talk about how I forget what made me feel good. And so the therapy might follow your space of being in this. I don't want to talk today. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always have to go to that same deep place you've been going or that same talk conversation. I, the most often when I see people getting, talked out in therapy is because they are over talking in one area they need yeah. to shift out of it a little they they kind of need to put that on the shelf for a bit it needs to marinate and they need to return to it and they'll return to it and like maybe c- come into context of their own life as it is today more totally because I can definitely attest to that where 
I talk about my situation a lot, partly because of what I do doing this, um, just having been in this country for a short period of time and it like touching my life mostly in that period. But yeah, sometimes I've gone to therapy and been like, I know I'm meant to be here for that, but actually I just want to talk about the fact I'm struggling with like getting the shopping done and, you know, like regular everyday things or whatever it may be. Um, or it brings up something. I think the, the good thing to maybe talk about here would be like the organizing context. Cause I've found I became an anxious person after never really um, understanding ang- anxiety or anxious people. Like I kind of thought it was something you could maybe switch on and off of a little bit more mm-hmm. um, from a point of privilege purely cause I hadn't had much anxiety in my life. And I think as a person outside of motherhood and outside of my experiences, I'm, I'm low on the anxious scale. I think things have changed since then, but I I couldn't always relate to it. And creating context and organising my emotions really helped me to understand, and it took a long time. But simple things like being in a queue, or, uh, sorry, a line, I guess, for Canadians. (laughs) Um, Being in a line-up for something used to make me incredibly anxious, and it took me so long to figure out why. And, like, I'd get the physical symptoms where I'd sweat or I'd get hot or whatever it would be and it took a long time to like this is just a simple example um realize that it was because a lot of the trauma I had was linked to waiting for bad news and then being told bad news and then the next time I waited it being worse and it was all so like I then linked waiting around to that feeling um even when it was like queuing up in McDonald's for a happy meal so you're going right back to how we started in such a powerfully beautiful way, right? So you held on to that anxiety. But oh, for like a couple of years, right? or maybe more. from yeah. context. So now lineups were like a trigger. They were like mm-hmm. that alarm bell we talked about. They were that anxiety feeling, which some people will have to a smell or yeah. to a sound or to a place that they know or see, um, to a, a momentary experience that they may not understand why, to getting, you know, soup. Uh, I had a patient who, who would have tremendous anxiety around soup. Yeah. She had so much, she was given so much soup in the hospital. Right. And it took her a while to connect it, right? So the feeling has been disconnected from its source. And so it kind of free floats and you feel it a lot. And we are all made up of multiple stories, multiple narratives. We're not one person with one storyline. That's also a risk, right? Okay. And so finding that feeling and yes, figuring out, where does it go? Which one of yourselves, your narratives, which part of you, where does this come from? Your childhood, I'm your feeling a bit like ridiculous as well, where I've been like, oh, I've survived all these things and like got through a lot of like difficult things. And then, yeah, I'm in a lineup and I'm sweating. Or the other thing was like always, um, uh, tra- I'm not traumatizing, what's it called when you catastrophize? That's right. it. Yeah where I'd be like, how am I getting so stressed that my husband's going to be like 10 minutes home late from work and I can't get hold of him versus like I can be thrown into um, like the actual reality of being told, oh, you're, this is happening to your child and you have to go give birth to it and be like relatively okay. Like, that never made sense to me. So I would always then come back to, oh, like you're being pathetic, like get over it rather than exploring, okay, why do I feel ridiculous? Yeah and sweat when I'm in a line or whatever it was it was usually like waiting for appointments for something but it could be like super simple um 
And when you and then it would get worse to the lineup in McDonald's, or as a random example. And then you'll start well going back to trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And we start avoiding it. Okay, yeah. I'm just not going to do lines. Actually, I have to do the passports. Can you do it for me? Right? Can you go to the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start to avoid it. And when we tell stories, truths, and sometimes our truths could be simple or seemingly simple. I don't know why, but I can't stand lines anymore. Mm -hmm. But as we talk, as we go somewhere with someone we begin to build it we begin to build the narrative and does it work when you listen to somebody else so like tell their story where then because I've found listening to multiple birth stories from like lots of different people and people writing to me about theirs that sometimes they can have a completely different birth experience to me but there's something about the way it's played out or a connection to one of mine where I'm like I didn't have that experience at all but I've still connected with you somehow even and I think you're moved by it yeah you're moved by it as a human being in this world um I think with birth stories where people um who give birth a person experiences often unfortunately a loss of agency Mm -hmm. a sense of not having a voice it's getting better and better but often not being able to advocate for ourselves so the story could be totally totally different and yet you may hear an aspect of their story and say oh, you lost your voice in that moment too. Or right. having a totally empowering story where they tell the story and they share a feeling and you had that feeling, but at a different moment, but you remember that moment, you remember that feeling and that's connection. We don't, none of us line up on top of each other perfect, perfectly. But the idea of being able to be moved by someone's story, moved so by their connection experience. coming back to bearing witness, I guess, because you're connecting through bearing witness and you're connecting to something regardless of happy, sad, bad, good, like trauma, not trauma, blah, blah, blah. It could be hopeful. It could be empowering. It could be um, really sad. And it could be empathy in in the hardest or the worst of what someone has been through. Mm-hmm. We are, as human beings, like I said, going back to it, ultimately, at the core of ourselves, we want to be seen and heard and recognized. Mm-hmm. And... That's what telling a story does. And we want to, so we want both things. We want to be seen, heard, and recognized in our authentic self. And we want to connect. And those two things are sometimes kind of mutually exclusive. Because if I'm seen and recognized in my whole being, you might reject me. I might not be connected to you. So what storytelling does, if I can tell my true story and you can see me and not reject me, and I can feel seen by you, we are now connected. I've met two right. of my ba- my main goals as a human being. Right. right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. And I think listening obviously comes back into that. So just listening yeah. and not doing anything else and just looking someone in the eye and letting them talk, basically. Like the power of that is kind of endless, really, I think. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was triggering because I think we live in a bit of a society now of things where everything comes with a trigger warning what makes us a little bit scared to say anything and that kind of goes back to me Um, and I do try and put trigger warnings on certain things for this because I think there's a time and place for I don't know for example listening to a lost story where if you are touched by loss you might not want to listen on your way to work (laughs) you might want to listen on your way back or something um but also I think always prefacing with that can make us feel like 
our story story shouldn't be told Mm. or what a triggering behavior actually is because I think when you're being triggered just about anything can trigger you and it's not necessarily like the blatantly obvious thing (laughs) where it's like oh I've had a loss and someone's going to tell me about it it might be something so simple where for me um for example a a lot of people when I'd um lost phoenix uh were always like oh you might not want to come and see this baby and I said I'm not triggered at all by babies Mm -hmm. I'm triggered by pregnant people because and that was my trigger because for me personally at that time it was a case of I felt like I should be pregnant still like I was still living on the path of like men go to 40 weeks and have a baby so when that got interrupted pregnant people were like my nemesis and babies were actually like I don't connect the dots with the baby that, that, that that's not upsetting me as where I've heard other women who've had a stillbirth for example couldn't be around babies but pregnant people didn't bother them and like you know there's loads of other more complex scenarios but um yeah I just wondered what you thought about triggering behaviors and how people how people can kind of adapt to that or whether you think it is necessary that we have a trigger warning on everything now well you we could go back to a little bit of what we talked about before when asking the person um how are you what do you need right so in your in your story as you're saying it people would somewhat tell you right you may not want to be by my baby uh versus hey how do you feel about me bringing my baby over right and that entire question changes it it gives you the agency gives you the voice to say this is what feels okay to me and also i think it takes the shame away because somebody saying you might not want to be around my baby makes you think they're making the decision for you and that they're kind of patronizing you totally. without understanding. And maybe they do understand, but they're not still not you, right? And I think also it's hard when someone says, what do you need? Because I would say nothing. I'd be like, oh, I'm okay, don't worry. And then you ask again. So yeah. when I, it's the same to me as I say, how bad are you feeling? I'll ask somebody who comes into my office. I don't say, you know, how Or could you, you even break it down? And then I might say it again. No, really. How are you feeling? Right. Because you're right. Most of the time we've learned you don't actually want to hear or you're not going to be able to handle or you're not going to like what I have to say. But mm-hmm. if someone asks you twice and looks you in the eye, asks the same question, your likelihood of answering it is going to increase. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. going to say, oh, wait, they're with me right now. They see me right now and they're actually ready to hear my answer. Or even if you rephrase it, I suppose, and say, no, I know you need something. And is it like, is it this or this or somewhere in between? Like, yeah. let and me know. And the better you know them, right? Yeah, the and more you can do that. And when you're saying about trigger warning, you know, it's hard because in our in our culture, society right now with Instagram, with podcasts, I struggle with this. You know, you're scrolling social media and we might even put a trigger warning on Instagram in the content, but the, the image, it, the image yeah. is just shown up in my face and I already read it, yeah. right? And there's a problem with that. So do I think that trigger warnings are helpful? Yes, because when you don't know who your audience is and who's going to be listening and who's going to tune in, mm-hmm. you kind of want to give them a heads up. This is yeah. what's going to be here because you have the right to decide. This goes back to the person's agency, whether this is for you or not. So I think I your think Instagram comment, though, is interesting because I found um, um, recently, because we're in November now while we're recording this, but in October when it was uh, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I actually found 
that triggering where I was like this is too much for me right now I'm pregnant I'm trying to like do all these positive things and I'm fine talking about everything but like the incessant like everybody's posting about yeah like every time I went onto my Instagram I was like oh man that's too much so I did have to like almost like make the decision to come off and I think you're right because your feed is essentially what you fill it with um some I know and I know we're, we're probably all a bit guilty of filling it with things that doesn't always fill us up but there can be times where even if everything every single person we follow we absolutely love and it doesn't bring out any negative emotion in us if there's a month like that where everyone's like saying oh don't forget about this that can be too much and for me um the trigger warning is good but I also had to just make a decision at some point to be like okay I'm I'm done like I'm not going to look at Instagram because that is the trigger warning in itself because well it's not the trigger warning but that is the issue in itself it's the fact I'm going on to something at a time I know is likely to cause an issue for me um but I can't go on there and be like oh they didn't all put trigger warnings up you know right. it's like I should just not be checking it it's it's, feeling, it's the awareness man to do that right yeah like it's you honoring how you feel and what mm-hmm. you think and not feeling like well I should be part of this movement of everybody reading and posting um, yeah. and feeling badly like oh I should be able to read it um it's you honoring what you're what you're where you're feeling, at and where, where you're, you're at, at and saying this isn't for me I don't I don't want that I I had a very strong reaction this year because it seems to be the era of and we talked about this a little yeah. bit before we got on the podcast um the era of vulnerability uh Brene yes. Brown really birthed that in such an amazing way and being vulnerable and sharing your authentic self and that's also important and we're talking about that with storytelling and yet there's this other side of us really honoring who who can do that? That not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is surrounded it's a privilege, by. Has, almost, it's yeah. such a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a privilege in a social, economic, cultural, uh, racial, multi-layered way. It's such a privilege to be yeah. able to, to share, to be able to be vulnerable. Yeah. And so I felt really triggered as everybody was posting. I think my post this year was about um, the power of listening rather than the power of telling or sharing because I realized everybody's getting very loud in a good way, thank God, starting to feel the right to share, starting to feel like they matter and they can. But what happens if we all create these in-groups of sharing and then actually there's a lot of people who are outside these groups. I was going to say that, like if all the same people start sharing, the people who aren't able to be vulnerable feel more... More left outside. out yeah more outside because I yeah I can I can I can relate to that in the sense that I also felt this uh pressure this year where I was like oh because that's what I do or because that's what I did last year I should share my story and I kind of tried to like claw back a little bit of that and be like I'm going to share what I feel like and this is just it at this point and then I'm done but I think also with like the Instagram blogs all these other things I've heard a lot of people like either congratulate you for doing it, which is nice sometimes to hear, but it's like it doesn't make me a better person than the next person or vice versa because we don't all have to start a blog and write about our experiences to feel valid or even continue to. There's actually quite a lot of people that I follow in the sort of lost world in October who 
basically said I'm out this year like I'm kind of done Mm -hmm. and there's people who will want to do or be the spokesperson this year and like I'm going to let them go do it because I'm exhausted and I think giving yourself space to accept who you are and what you want to do and what serves you because I'll be completely honest I do get something out of sharing it's like a part of my own therapy and it counterbalances I think moving here having a loss and having no one to talk about but it doesn't mean to say that that makes me better or worse than the next person for oversharing or for undersharing I think we all and you must hit I don't know if you hear this a lot where people feel they should be like doing something not even just in the realms of like having a blog or like openly sharing on any social platform I think that's just become like the social norm but feeling you should do something in honor of your child or whether it be your living child you know like every birthday being writing them a letter they're they're incredible and like doing this massive post I think the take-home if there was a take-home is that you know there's oversimplification of you do you but it's really the what is it serving you? Is it serving you? If sharing is serving you, mm-hmm. it's for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter about what other people are, need from that. The people who need your story are going to gain from it. Yeah. And it's, if you're going to gain from it, then you share it. Yeah. And then you should. Then you do. And, and would you say the not, same with vulnerability then? Yeah. 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 If this is a space... I mean, there's so many factors and obviously we're not going to get into them, but who's around you? Um, Can they bear witness? Can they tolerate? Do you have those people? Who are you sharing with? Um, Are they going to make you feel better or worse, for example? Is this this your place where you can do it? Do you have the resources that you need to do it? Um, Is it going to, and I think very often being vulnerable when you're not sure you can, but you do have the people around you to do it. Um, it probably will help you. So are you not, why are you not doing it? Right. Is it shame? Mm. Well, for shame, we want to rise through it because when we start to have someone bear witness, the shame diminishes. We start to, someone shows us that we can be seen and that we are not as bad. Shame is, I think I'm bad because of this. And we share it and someone looks at us and doesn't see us as bad. And through their eyes, we feel a little less bad now. And I think also like, even if that you're, your beliefs systems and so forth don't align you can still often connect to the person even if you're like well maybe I think I wouldn't have chose that but really how does anyone know totally um I feel like that was bringing me to a point and I've just lost it (laughs) but I mean I guess we should probably round off fairly soon just because we've been talking for nearly an hour and we both have two slash three kids then looking <laughs> after. But is there anything you kind of want to end with before we give people some tips on, well, I say tips, but like I think we're probably just going to link everything in show notes to give people an idea of what they can do if they're feeling like they need help on any level. Um, if anyone, for whoever has listened for the full hour, thank you. <laughs> um, and what I would say is, you do matter and whatever Mm -hmm. your story is it deserves to be heard you Mm -hmm. deserve to have someone hear it yeah so I hope for everyone listening that they feel they have someone to share it with Mm -hmm. and I hope as a society we can become the listeners for the people who don't have 
the yeah. people around them. So if you, on the other hand, around someone you know, may have no one to share their story with, listen to them. For five minutes, you might do everything. Yeah. Um, when you go give a dollar to someone who's at the corner of the street, you may say to them, how are you today? And they're going to answer you, but they're going to feel so seen because you didn't just drop a coin or let alone just walk away. Yeah. So maybe by listening to this, yeah. both sides feel like you matter, you can share, but so does everyone else. So make a space for them to share too. Yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway from talking to you today is the real importance of um, of listening and, yeah, bearing witness above all else because – we're probably all guilty of talking at people or when we have something to say, saying it and not always listening to the response or um, being the listener. It's so hard to <laughs> And do. I think even when you think you are, sometimes you're not because sometimes I'm trying to be that person. I'm like, oh, no, I think I just butted in again. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's hard. It's a really yeah. hard thing to do. But everybody has a story. And when you're the listener, you're going to open up the space for someone to listen to you. And you never know what's coming next because I don't know when this will air in sequence, but there's been a few stories, whether I've listened to another podcast or on here where I'm like, okay, yeah, da, 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 like this is happening. And then you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like you just never know what someone is going to finish with or where things go. So totally. yeah, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that being said, thank you to everyone for listening. I'm going to link um Tanya's professional Instagram because I think following you is really inspiring and I love sometimes your little quotes that you share really resonate with me but also um we'll put a host of stuff in there uh that people can do if they're feeling like they really need some help they need someone to talk to or or worse than that like a helpline um so yeah I'll have that all linked and you can scroll down to the show notes and have a little look for yourselves Thank you so much. It's always nice to hang out with you. I feel like I could talk to you forever. And if there wasn't a timer ticking down, <laughs> I probably would. Thank you so much for having me. And guys, I sort of wish there was a video because the space. I know. We're going to take a photo. Amazing. This like space my is amazing. Pink leopard print heaven. <laughs> Maybe someone else's idea of hell, but anyway. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It means a lot to me and all the guests involved because bearing your soul and opening your heart to tell your birth story is sometimes a really difficult thing. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe and also enter this week's giveaway to a chance to win something fab just for yourself. Thanks for listening and allowing the guests of the podcast to have their voice and their story heard. Forever grateful, Franny.